Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm glad you could join me for this new episode where we take a look at the mysterious and sinister Men in Black, or MIB for short. These eerie agents of suppression have been intimidating UFO witnesses and researchers for years. They look bizarre, act strangely, and are menacing and scary. But before we start, let me just give you a reminder to go out and take a look at the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page. Every single day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to check out. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Now, on to our episode. In 1947, Harold Dahl claimed to have been warned not to talk about his alleged UFO sighting on Maury Island by a man in a dark suit. In the mid-1950s, ufologist Albert K. Bender claimed he was visited by men in dark suits who threatened and warned him not to continue investigating UFOs. Bender maintained that the men in black were secret government agents who had been given the task of suppressing evidence of UFOs. Ufologist John Keane claimed to have had encounters with MIB and referred to them as demonic supernaturals with dark skin and exotic facial features. According to ufologist Jerome Clark, reports of men in black may represent experiences that don't seem to have occurred in the world of consensus reality. It's likely the story of the men in black, the mysterious figures that would become the subject of fascination in UFO conspiracy circles, can be traced back to one day, June 27, 1947. It's quite possible that it all started with a man, a boy, and a dog on a boat. Harold Dahl and his son were salvaging logs on a fishing boat when they saw six donut-shaped crafts flying in the air above them. One of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris. The debris hit and injured Dahl's son and struck the family dog, killing it. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. A skeptical Chrisman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw a strange object in the sky with his own eyes. The following morning, after talking about the event with his boss and friends, Dahl was visited by a mysterious man in a black suit. They went to a local diner where the man was able to recount in extraordinary detail what Dahl had just experienced. What I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe, the man said. According to author Gray Barker's 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, the man advised him to not discuss the encounter. Dahl was told if he did, 
bad things would happen. Not long after, he was also visited by several Air Force agents who were said to be on a mission to gather information. Dahl's story also got the attention of various law enforcement agencies in the United States, including the FBI, who wrote a report on the matter. The alleged events of Maury Island have continued to fuel conspiracy theories to this day. Not long after the encounter with the man in black, Dahl claimed that the whole thing was a hoax, but he recanted that years after, saying he made the first confession under duress. These are truly scary beings, and those seeing them over the years have given us views into who they might be. But first, let's look at what these sightings say about the MIB and their behavior. As the dust settled from World War II and the U.S. launched into a Cold War with Russia, well, paranoia and conspiracies spread throughout the country. In this environment of high-tension apprehension began the first mass sightings of unidentified flying objects in American history, and this was the highly charged situation in which the MIB were born. In popular culture and UFO conspiracy theories, men in black are men dressed in black suits who claim to be quasi-government agents who harass, threaten, and intimidate UFO witnesses to keep them quiet. The term can be generic, used for any unusual, threatening, or strangely behaved individual whose appearance can be linked in some fashion with a UFO sighting and confronting the event's eyewitnesses. Several alleged encounters with the men in black have also been reported by UFO researchers and enthusiasts. Stories about men in black inspired the Men in Black film franchise, but that's not what we're talking about here. No friendly U.S. agents protecting the world in the form of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. No, the real MIBs are much more mysterious and threatening. Folklorist James R. Lewis compares accounts of men in black with tales of people encountering Lucifer and speculates that they can be considered a kind of psychological trauma. In fact, men in black feature prominently in ufology, UFO folklore, and in fan fiction. In the 1950s and 60s, ufologists adopted a conspiracy mindset and began to fear they would be subject to organized intimidation in retaliation for discovering the truth about UFOs, whatever that truth might have been perceived to be. In all of their different incarnations, the men in black usually have one main purpose, to suppress witnesses of strange paranormal phenomena. They almost always wear black suits and hats with dark sunglasses, drive black cars, and arrive in groups of usually two or three. Some describe them like an FBI agent, while others recall the MIB as having strange appearances, sometimes with supernatural features like glowing eyes and strange complexions. The typical men in black narrative involves an individual, often a UFO investigator, who is approached shortly after having a UFO-related encounter. The contact may be foreshadowed by a phone call or more cryptic means of communication, frequently with a warning to stop their investigation. When the MIB turn up in person, they're dressed in matching black suits and hats. The overall impression is weird or odd. Appearing both alone and in groups, Men in black may or may not offer some kind of official identification. If they do, the names given will always be false, often attached to organizations that do not actually exist. Sometimes they even show a white card with the word security on it and refer to each other by number 
rather than name. The vehicles they drive are often older sedans, always black in color, but appear to be new. For example, Robert Richardson's 1967 encounter described the men in black arriving in a 1953 black Cadillac. The style of the suits they wear is right out of the 1950s or 60s. And their arrival is often at an unusual time of day when someone else who could serve as an additional witness might be out, or extremely late at night. Questions are usually asked about the individual's involvement in UFOs, and MIB appear to be aware of personal details or information surrounding the case that is not public knowledge. Sometimes violence is threatened or implied, though there do not appear to be any cases in which violence was actually inflicted. Small comfort to those who are threatened. Key items are sometimes confiscated, which can cause serious problems for any witness or investigator seeking to make a case for the reality of their UFO encounter. Afterwards, the men in black will vanish suddenly, faster than seems humanly possible. No trace of their presence will be found, leaving witnesses baffled and frequently deeply uncomfortable or even terrified. Reports also often emphasize their inhuman appearance and behavior, ill-fitting clothes, a lack of facial features such as lips, and improperly applied makeup. Men in black are most commonly depicted as inhumanly pale. Some cases have emphasized features as being exotic, such as having almond-shaped eyes. But there is definitely a sense that something is off with them. They frequently speak with an accent, but it's often unusual as if they're trying to mimic a foreign accent. They may speak in a mechanical way, as if they are not human at all, but some kind of robot. Sometimes jerky motions of the head add to this impression. They sometimes speak in an overly formal way versus a more ordinary vernacular. They may try to speak with slang or gangster-style jargon. But again, it does not seem natural. It's almost as if they are trying too hard to appear normal or act apart. And oddly, they may show fascination with ordinary items, focusing on forks, pins, and other common items as if they've never seen them before. Theories of who they are. Just who the MIB are remains unclear. To UFO enthusiasts fascinated with conspiracy theories, they are enforcers for some secret group. To others, they are alien beings. Hoaxers and human government agents are two of the most popular suggestions for men in black, and to be fair, these are the explanations best supported by much of the available evidence. The odd, antiquated, or supernatural behaviors exhibited lead to assumptions that many of these men in black are actually non-human beings in disguise. Time travelers have been thrown into the mix as well. Their exact nature remains uncertain, though an element of supernatural power and sinister intent accompanies many of their appearances. Folklorist Dr. Peter M. Rosewick draws comparisons with folk tales of demons and the devil. French information scientist Jacques Vallée adopts a similar viewpoint, attributing UFOs and men in black to merged traditions and a mix of religious experience, alleged fairy encounters, and psychic phenomena. What is their purpose? Well, their ultimate purpose seems to be straightforward, to silence UFO witnesses or stop the presentation of information by researchers and enthusiasts. The men in black will firmly advise the witness or investigator to forget about their encounter or investigation and will threaten them if they refuse. 
But why would they want to suppress information about UFOs? Well, as the theory goes, it's because aliens are closer to us than you think. They might actually be everywhere, and if ordinary citizens realized just how real the threat was, there would be a mass panic and a breakdown of the social order. To maintain order, control is necessary. But another feasible purpose is the dissemination of disinformation to cast doubt upon and lower confidence in UFO eyewitnesses and researchers. According to MIB advocates, it doesn't matter if the MIB are aliens or government agents. The goals are the same. Discredit and prevent the belief in UFOs and alien visitation to this planet. When do they show up? Well, the MIBs have an uncanny and quite eerie habit of showing up right after a UFO event, sometimes a few days after, but more frequently, literally within hours or even minutes. In many cases, it is only after an eyewitness or researcher has contacted others, especially the media or government agencies, about what they've seen or will be reporting. This is a key point. The vast majority of those seeing UFOs have reported no MIB encounters. It only seems when the information is potentially explosive, is considered confirmation of UFO or alien existence, or the public's perspective could be impacted, that MIBs make their appearance and then make their threats known. Are they still active? Well, the answer to that question is a qualified yes. Encounters do still occur, but they seem to be less so than in years past. Perhaps there is no point, now that modern technology makes it easy for eyewitnesses to immediately take photos and videos and then in just a few moments post them online for all to see. Maybe the speed of our technology has ultimately rendered the MIB mission obsolete. After all, it's kind of meaningless to shut the barn door after the horses are already out. With so many encounters out there regarding these strange suit-wearing beings, it's time we look at some of the more well-known reports of people's experiences with MIB confrontations. The Maury Island story you heard earlier involving Harold Dahl gained little notice in the UFO community until Barker's 1956 book in which he wrote of his file on the Maury Island case. Barker connected the similarities between the man who wore a black suit who took Dahl to breakfast and three similarly dressed men who supposedly visited a young UFO enthusiast named Albert K. Bender in 1953. However, there have been many other encounters over the years, but Albert Bender's story is a good place to start. Albert Bender. It was Bender who almost single-handedly ushered in the era of the men in black, just as pilot Kenneth Arnold had inaugurated the era of the UFO. Ufologist Nick Redfern writes in his book, The Real Men in Black. But it was Barker's book that told Bender's story, thus introducing the concept of the MIB to a much wider audience, and probably being responsible for UFO witnesses looking over their shoulders for late model black sedans. In July 1953, Albert Bender was visited at his home by three men. Bender stated all of them were dressed in black clothes, they looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to the Homburg style. The infamous men in black, usually in threes, made it clear to Bender he was to immediately halt all UFO work. They communicated telepathically, stop publishing. Before departing, the MIB confiscated copies of Space Review, and in their wake, a yellow fog materialized in the upstairs rooms of Bender's home at 784 Broad Street. 
Unnerved by their otherworldly presence, Bender stated he was scared to death and was unable to eat for days. And horrifyingly, the 32-year-old timekeeper would be the recipient of repeated MIB visits, each more sinister and threatening than the one prior. Well, the telepathic messages, headaches, being stalked, and of course the surreal warnings by the MIB compelled Bender to shut down the International Flying Saucer Bureau. A year and a half after founding the IFSB, the final issue of Space Review was released in October 1953. It included a cryptic message and warning. The mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information, we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. Barker described Bender's visitors as three men in black suits with threatening expressions on their faces. Three men who walk in on you and make certain demands. Three men who know that you know what the saucers really are. Bender, in his own 1962 book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, described the MIB in much more frightening language. They floated about a foot off the floor. The faces were not clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable, wrote Bender. What, if anything, really transpired within his home? Could events be explained by Albert Bender's mental state? Did the stress of managing an international organization and publishing the Space Review create a sense of paranoia and trigger a nervous breakdown? Or, as some have suggested, did Bender's paranormal research open a door to an occult force? Others tremble at the thought of demons. Or, as most ufologists contend, it really was aliens. Take your pick, listeners. Many people who knew him claim Bender was a changed man after the encounters. His later works were rambling, almost unreadable, and he seemed to live his life in constant anxiety and terror. He told friends and acquaintances he still received mysterious phone calls with nobody on the other end until the end of his life in 2002. Professor Peter M. Rosewick. In 1987, writing in the respected Journal of American Folklore, Professor Peter Rosewick examined folk concepts and beliefs in other worlds as they related to men in black legends. One classic tale of an MIB involved a man with the fictitious name Michael Elliott. One afternoon, as Elliott sat in a university library immersed in UFO literature, a thin, dark-featured man dressed all in black approached him. Speaking in a slight accent, the man asked Elliott what he was reading about. Flying saucers, Elliott replied. He added that he had no particular interest in their reality or unreality, just in the stories told about them. The stranger shouted, Flying saucers are the most important fact of the century, and you're not interested? Then the man stood up, as if mechanically lifted, spoke gently, go well in your purpose, and departed. When Elliot went to follow the man, he found the library unnervingly deserted. A year or two after his article appeared, Rosewick confessed the incident had actually happened to him. He was Michael Elliot. He remains convinced it was an MIB official who confronted him in the library. He's convinced many others have had similar experiences.
Dr. Herbert Hopkins. In 1976, Dr. Herbert Hopkins was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. One evening, he received a phone call from someone claiming to be an activist in the UFO community. The caller asked him if he could visit Hopkins to discuss the case. Hopkins agreed to meet and hung up. Mere minutes later, the man arrived at his door. The man was wearing a black suit and black tie and had very unusual facial appearances with no hair or eyebrows and an extremely pale complexion. Hopkins' dog began barking fitfully the minute the man entered the home. After the bizarre visitor was finished questioning him about the UFO case, the visit got even stranger. Here's how it went, according to the website, The Night Sky. The man in black informed Hopkins that there were two coins in Hopkins' pocket, which was correct, and asked him to remove one. Hopkins complied and held the coin, a shiny new penny, in the palm of his hand. The MIB told Hopkins to watch the coin closely. After a few moments, the coin took on a silvery appearance and then appeared to be going out of focus it then began to fade and eventually disappeared altogether. The MIB informed Hopkins the coin would never be seen on this plane again. He then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. Hopkins replied that he had heard of Hill, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The MIB informed Hopkins that was correct. Barney didn't have a heart, said the MIB just like you no longer have a coin. Well, listeners, it should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. The MIB then suggested that Hopkins should destroy any material he had related to the UFO case. Hopkins, extremely shaken by the encounter, followed the advice of the man and burned all the files he had related to the case. He never saw the man again. Jim Templeton On May 23, 1964, Fireman, photographer, and local historian Jim Templeton was taking a photo of his daughter in a field overlooking the Solway Firth in Cumbria, England. Upon developing the film, Templeton was shocked to discover a strange spaceman-like figure in the background behind his daughter. The figure was not in the camera's view when he took the photo, and nobody had any idea where the entity had come from or, for that matter, where it went. The film was verified by Kodak as authentic, and Templeton's story went public. Not long after, he was visited by two self-proclaimed government agents who referred to themselves as number 9 and number 10. They demanded to see the location of the photo. He took them to the field where the photo had been taken, and they questioned Templeton about the event. When Templeton told them he hadn't seen the figure personally, the men became angry and stormed out of the field never to be seen again. Templeton was later contacted by two employees at a missile launch pad in Australia who claimed that they saw two figures resembling the being in his photo on launch pad security footage. Apparently the missiles at the site in Australia had been produced only 20 miles away from the field where Templeton took his photo. Paul Miller Perhaps one of the most intriguing encounters of an experience with the men in black is that of Paul Miller in North Dakota in November 1961. Miller was returning home from a hunting trip with three friends when they saw a luminous disc in the sky. The disc landed in an empty field and two humanoids emerged from the craft. Miller fired his gun at them and believed he injured one. Incredibly frightened by the strange events, they fled in Miller's car. 
However, when they got back home to the town of Minot, North Dakota, they realized they had lost time. It was almost three hours later than when they first encountered the weird craft. Miller shrugged it off and went back to his Air Force job the next day. However, upon entering work, he was immediately confronted by three men in black suits. They told him that they had his file. They claimed to be from the government. However, when Miller asked for identification, they simply ignored his request. When they stated to him that they hoped he was telling the truth about the UFO sightings, Miller sensed danger and became very afraid. Miller couldn't understand how they even knew he had seen anything strange since it had happened only the day before. He asked how they knew about the incident. As an answer to his question, they simply stated they had a report. Despite having told nobody about the event, the men said that they knew all about it and mentioned the encounter would best be forgotten. They seemed to know everything about me, where I worked, my name, everything else, Miller said. They also asked questions about his experiences as if they already knew the answers. Miller felt they were trying to catch him in a lie. Miller, terrified, did not come forward about his experience until years later. Danny Gordon Danny Gordon was a radio personality who became interested in a flurry of UFO sightings in Wythe County, Virginia. At the time of the incident in early October 1987, Gordon was working for the country music station WYVE. Multiple people across the county, including several police officers, claimed to have seen bizarre objects in the sky and Gordon decided to investigate. He soon realized that many people had seen the UFOs and many more were still encountering them. So impressed with the wave of information and now beginning to view the reports more seriously, Gordon set up a special program to record the reports. Even he didn't expect the response, which he would later describe as a lightning rod moment. Furthermore, according to Gordon, almost instantly, every day, the phone would ring off the hook. However, strange things began happening to Gordon. He received a phone call from a man who claimed to be ex-military, warning him his research could cost him everything, and urged him to stop for his family's sake. Gordon was also interviewed by two men in black suits who claimed to work for a magazine publication. Not long after the interview, Gordon realized all his photos were missing. He contacted the magazine for information, and they claimed to have never heard of him or the UFO reports, and never commissioned an article about him. They had not sent anyone to interview him. Not long after, Gordon suffered a heart attack, and his doctor warned him that all the research and stress was jeopardizing his health. Gordon gave up the story. He was never bothered again. Jack and Mary Robinson UFO researcher Jack Robinson and his wife Mary began to experience extremely strange events in 1968 as they pursued more alien and UFO-related research. They would come home to find their house ransacked, apparently searched, and their UFO files disturbed. Mary also began to notice a strange man in a black suit and hat outside, staring up at their apartment. Mary mentioned this activity to a friend who drove over and saw what she was talking about for himself. The friend, Tim Green Beckley, snapped a photo of the man, which is believed to be one of the most significant examples of proof of the men in black, or at least a suspicious man dressed in black. Robert Richardson In 1967 in Ohio, Richardson claimed he collided with a UFO while driving. However, after the impact, the object vanished. 
Richardson took home a small lump of metal he believed was from the UFO. Only a week later, Richardson said he was visited by two men in black suits who asked for the piece of metal he had collected from the scene of the crash. When Richardson informed them he had already given the piece of metal to authorities for testing, he said they threatened his wife. He didn't hear from the two men again after that, and he had no idea how they could have known about the piece of metal. Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, that Dan Aykroyd from Saturday Night Live. In January 2002, Dan Aykroyd sold a series to the sci-fi channel called Out There, which would present serious information about topics like UFOs, crop circles, and alien abductions. Aykroyd recounted how he was getting ready to start the first episode of the paranormal show. He stepped outside to take a phone call when he noticed a black Ford parked across the street. A tall man stepped out of the Ford and stared at him. Aykroyd turned away for a moment and then turned back to find the man in the car had completely vanished. After he finished his phone call, he returned to the studio to learn that his show had suddenly been canceled and he was ordered to stop filming immediately. Some doubt his claim, but Aykroyd says he knows what he saw and maintains there was some kind of connection between the MIB and the end of his paranormal show. Shane Sovar on October 14, 2008, hotel manager Shane Sovar and a hotel security guard reported seeing a large triangular UFO outside the building. A group called the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations Team looked into the incident. The two men, along with three other witnesses, reported that a couple of weeks later, two unidentified men visited the hotel, matching known descriptions of the MIB. The MIB terrified the hotel staff and were reportedly looking for Sovar and the hotel guard. Fortunately, Sovar and the guard were not at the hotel at the time. However, cameras caught the men in black on the hotel security footage as they entered the hotel. Sovar said hotel guests described the men as tall, with black suits, identical faces, no eyebrows or eyelashes, extremely pale skin, and pale blue eyes that never blinked. While it's readily apparent people are seeing individuals they equate to the legendary MIB, what are they really seeing? We do have some compelling encounter stories, as you just heard, but skeptics have their own idea about what is happening. Ufologist John Keane has argued that some MIB encounters can be explained as miscast, entirely mundane events perpetuated through local folklore. In his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, Keel describes a late-night outing in 1967 rural West Virginia where he himself was mistaken for an MIB while searching for a phone to call a tow truck. And some folklorists claim the whole idea of Men in Black is itself a form of mass panic or a psychological drama due to suggestibility and a willingness to believe. Others, however, insist the Men in Black are part of a real government agency designed to prevent the public from learning the truth about UFOs, while others insist their experiences are real and anyone who thinks they're crazy is merely a tool of government propaganda and manipulation. In his 2011 book, The Real Men in Black, author Nick Redfern suggests that during the UFO craze of the 50s and 60s, government agents would periodically infiltrate UFO research groups. They would disseminate misinformation, confiscate photos, and intimidate witnesses, and they would sow the seeds of fear, anxiety, and paranoia. They weren't aliens, robots, or time travelers. 
just actual government operatives intent on discrediting UFO witnesses. Were any of these stories true? It is, of course, possible that at some point, dark-suited men from government agencies made inquiries into UFO reports. There was, after all, an Air Force program that investigated flying saucer claims in the 1950s and 60s called Project Blue Book. Government officials, including those with the military, police, Secret Service, FBI, even the IRS, for example, are sometimes known to throw their weight around and intimidate people, even unintentionally. Of course, hoaxing a men in black encounter would be pretty easy and require nothing more than three somber, dark-suited charlatans to menace a UFO eyewitness. In 1998, John Sherwood, also known as Dr. Richard H. Pratt, came clean about the role Gray Barker, head of Saucerian Publications, played in perpetuating the myth of the MIB. In his article, Gray Barker, My Friend, the Mythmaker, Sherwood claims that in the late 1960s, at the age of 18, he cooperated with author Barker. Barker urged him to develop a hoax, which Barker then published, about what Barker called black men, three mysterious UFO inhabitants who silenced Sherwood's alter ego, Dr. Richard H. Pratt. The book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, made the men in black feared within UFO circles during the late 50s and 60s, claims Sherwood. But Sherwood says the book was fiction, written purely to make money with little concern for facts. It was Barker who published a 17-year-old Sherwood's Flying Saucers Are Watching You, which the author now claims was his only corrupt journalistic experience. That is, he wrote with little concern for fact. Sherwood admits that he encouraged the hoax by playing along when UFO believers identified him as having been silenced by the MIB. The fact is, there's very little that we actually know about these mysterious individuals. Despite the relative abundance of encounters on record or examples of outright hoaxes, currently there's no way to definitively declare whether the men in black are real or not. If they are part of a secret government agency, while they may not have entirely kept the secret, they have prevented any conclusive evidence of their existence from leaking out to the public. The movies paint the men in black as part of a benevolent organization separate from the government. They keep a discreet eye on alien activity around the planet and protect humanity against extraterrestrial threats. And they are obviously human. But the stories of the real men in black are rather different. They represent a menacing, frightening presence, often with supernatural undertones. They appear to be non-human. Witnesses are frequently left terrified, often unwilling to disclose their experiences until several years later if ever. The truth that can be known is that fiction, pranksters, outright fraud, and real-life government interference have quite literally conspired to create a bizarre pop culture hybrid that makes little sense, all while still holding an eerie grain of truth, says writer Tom G. Wolfe. Men in Black reports seem to have largely fallen out of fashion in recent years, perhaps because they've become something of a pop culture joke. What may have seemed menacing a half-century ago with sinister men in black suits intimidating people elicits little more than a laugh or indifference these days. The MIB no longer seem to be a menacing force within UFO circles. They no longer seem to be a threat. But then again, maybe that's exactly what they want you to think.
Well, in our next episode, we travel to Mexico to highlight the top five paranormal locations in that country. You're going to get the full stories on the Santa Paula Cemetery in Guadalajara, La Posada del Sol in Mexico City, Claudia Mijango's house in Querétaro, Casa de Negra in Mexico City, and the infamous Island of Dolls, also in Mexico City. You'll be hearing all about strange, paranormal, and supernatural occurrences at these locations. Everything from ghosts to demons to possible vampires. So join us as we take a look at the top paranormal locations in Mexico next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Quiz time, everybody. Here we go. How many American adults 21 and older believe in the paranormal? Is it A, 37%, B, 48%, C, 63%, or D, 72%? Once again, how many American adults 21 and older believe in the paranormal? Is it 37%, 48%, 63%, or 72%? And the answer is... C. 63%. According to a recent survey of 2,000 people 21 and over, 63% believe in the paranormal in some form. And half of Americans swear they've encountered a ghost from beyond leading many to believe their homes are haunted also. Study finds research website writer Chris Malore notes respondents say the most common unexplained beings they believe exist include ghosts, 57%, visitors from other planets, 39%, and Bigfoot at 27%. Over a third, 35%, even say they have felt an unexplained presence in their homes, prompting them to worry that they've been haunted by some paranormal entity. Commissioned by Phantom Wines and conducted by one poll, the study disclosed that 23% don't believe in the paranormal. But they also don't want to provoke anything out there that could prove them wrong. Way to hedge that bet, folks. Better safe than sorry. Overall, 44% claim they've had a personal experience with the paranormal. Nearly 2 in 3, 63%, believe life exists on other planets somewhere in the universe. And 55% believe full moons can make people behave strangely. Malore states that the poll also finds people's belief in the paranormal goes beyond just ghosts and aliens. 56% believe some people can see and predict the future, while 51% think some people can read minds. More than a quarter, 29%, have sought out a psychic reading with some of those respondents saying they learned how loved ones would die, where long-lost family members are now, and details about their future children, says Malore. After seeing the results of the study they sponsored, Jody Bogle, Phantom Wines Vice President of Consumer Relations, said in a statement, We were quite surprised to see so many people believe in the paranormal and that they have been in the presence of a ghost. Maybe you believe you have, too. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, 
please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.